Good morning. I want to welcome you to Memorial United Methodist. Thank you, Handbells and Christina and Don, uh, for bringing us into worship into this space. It's a slightly different day today as the Handbells are um, providing uh, most of our music, and so the choir gets to sit with you in the congregation today, and I've instructed them to scout excellent voices. Uh, out in the congregation, uh, especially Renessa. We'll be listening for your voices out there. We are at the end of the program year, and so just like many of your uh, workplace meetings, just like many of the school meetings you're attending, we're uh, wrapping up a number of details, and so we have announcements today uh, that are important. Uh, there's um, uh, several of them, and if you'll hang in there and pay attention, and they're also supplemented in your bulletin in the same format that our announcements are given, which is in our five practice. Uh, first of all, we'd like to talk about radical hospitality. Um, this is one of the things that we try to provide for guests. We hope you had a welcoming experience when you walked in the door. And you'll see um, everything that we try to do in your bulletin that was handed to you. Um, but also we have meals that we share with the entire congregation. Good morning. I'm Erin Knight. I'm the Director of Children and Family Ministries. And I want to make you all aware that the last supper at 6 of the spring is this Wednesday. And um, the menu's in your bulletin, prices and other details. But I really hope you'll join us. If you're a visitor here, the pattern is the first Wednesday of every month. We do take a break for summer. But the first Wednesday of every month at 6 o'clock, we have fellowship and a meal, usually followed by some kind of entertainment. I don't know that we'll call it entertainment this time, but a critical step will be taken that the people volunteering for VBS will get training after the meal. Um, so please join us just for the food if you'd like. Um, those of you doing the training, if you need child care, please let me know. No one yet has signed up for that, but we do have child care offered for infant through fifth grade should you need it. So we'll be glad to accommodate that and thank you all for volunteering. So hope to see you Wednesday. If you'd like to join us, just write that on the roster as it comes around. Tell us how many adults and how many children. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. We believe in passionate worship. And we have important um, announcements regarding that. Um, the celebration of life for Miss Ann Dobson will be tomorrow here in the sanctuary. It will be at 2 p.m. There is, uh, you can visit the family from 12 o'clock until 1.40, right around there, so that the family has a chance to come um, into the family room and gather themselves before the worship service. Uh, so if you'll come early for that, 12 o'clock is the visitation here in, this, in the sanctuary, and the worship service will be at 2 p.m in the sanctuary. And that will be the last service we have in the sanctuary for five or six weeks. Next Sunday, our traditional worship services will begin being in the Family Life Center. That's because we're tearing down um, plaster that is um, becoming something less than what it should be. And so we're going to tear down the plaster to the nub, replace that plaster, and repaint the entire section from this window all the way around to this window. Uh, so we're going to try to replicate this service as best we can, the order of this service, the style of this service, um, in the Family Life Center. I told you last week we weren't certain when it was going to begin. It begins on Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. And so um, if you'll come travel to the Family Life Center in May is Memorial Day. And Memorial Day weekend, we're going to have one service. That's our only time as we're out of the sanctuary that there's going to be one. That will be at 10 o'clock uh, in the Family Life Center as well. Otherwise, as you hear us, 11 o'clock service will be in the gym um, in the Family Life Center. 
We believe in intentional faith development. Uh, we try to provide um, great classes for um, children, youth, and adults. Um, children and youth are on tonight. The adult classes um, are off for one week. They gather again next week on May 7th. We believe in risk-taking mission and service. What are ways that we go out of this service and serve the community? And to that end, I'm going to um, have Mike Henson speak. Mike is going to talk about the South Carolina Annual Conference, which happens once a year. And he is one of your delegates, like your House of Representatives, uh, to, uh, to, uh, <laughs> to, uh, to conference. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> Maybe. Good morning. I'm Mike Henson. Hope you were well this morning. Don Beige and I serve you as your lay delegates to the South Carolina Annual Conference. This conference um, gathers together the clergy and the laity from all the Methodist programs around the state, all of our churches, colleges, and universities, and other entities within our denominations. The purpose of the conference is to present and discuss the various activities of the United Methodist in, in the state of South Carolina. We listen to reports on the conference homes, such as Epworth's Children Home, the colleges and universities that are supported by the Methodist Church, such as Wofford and Claflin, the Wesley Foundation that is found at many um, colleges and universities. We talk about budgets, we talk about congressional developments, and a lot of other reports like that. Sounds like a lot of fun, right? It is important for us to be represented, and it's important for Don and I to listen to and consider these activities around the state as Methodists, and, and, and as we gather, we gather together to share the love of God. This year, the annual conference will take place uh, beginning on Sunday, June the 4th, and continues until Wednesday, June the 7th. The great thing about the conference this year is it occurs in Greenville, South Carolina. In the past, we've traveled to Florence, so by having the annual conference in Greenville, it makes it available to us. And so I want to encourage you to attend this annual conference. The title of the annual conference this year is A More Excellent Way. We walk by faith and not by sight. The conference will be at the TD Convention Center, so there'll be plenty of parking for us. And, um, you know, when I began to think about attending the annual conference as a lay delegate, I looked at it as more of a kind of a business type opportunity to go look and listen to the business and the operations and how the church or how the churches and the other um, uh, components of the Methodist Church in, in South Carolina take place. What I found is it's a great place to worship. It's, uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to serve you by attending this conference. But really the primary reason that I go now is to worship with hundreds of United Methodists from all over the state. The first opportunity for you to worship with us is to uh, attend the annual opening service on the Sunday night. It starts at 7.30, so be there early. Bishop Jonathan Holson will deliver the sermon. To say that he is a dynamic speaker is almost an understatement. He is riveting. He is encouraging. He's deeply spiritual. And he's very moving. And I mean literally very moving. He's very active and uh, we will be active too as part of that worship service. He starts our conference off with a very deeply spiritual jolt of energy that carries us through the remaining days. One other meeting that I found deeply um, actually emotional and um, sacred is the commissioning and ordination service that begins at 7.30 on Monday night. This is a, um, almost a mirror image of the Sunday night service. It's quiet. It's uh, sacred. 
Bishop Holston will charge the men and women who will serve the various churches, foundations, and other activities with their responsibilities. They become our pastors, our leaders in the foundations, in the homes, and in our church. In this quiet period of time, families and supporters will stand quietly as the bishop speaks to each ordinand and then sit as the next group, our next ordinand, is, um, is uh, given the responsibilities. A couple of years ago, as Ellen and I were sitting at the conference, we heard a name that they called that was very familiar. One of the young men from our church who had uh, played basketball on one of my basketball teams was being ordained as an elder in the church. He was about this tall, and now he's about this tall. And so we, we went up to him afterwards and said, man, where was that height when you were playing basketball? He now serves a uh, church in Spartanburg. And it was awesome. It really was a very awesome feeling to see, to see him and see him growing up and now serving our Lord in Spartanburg. I don't know the other people, but I feel the Holy Spirit as they are charged um, to come forth and be the pastors uh, within our organizations and, uh, and to help our youth at the colleges and universities and at the children's home in Columbia. You're invited to this annual conference. This is open. It's open to you. I encourage you to attend as you can. The opening service and the Monday night service is something that's very special to me. But we start off each morning with communion. We have Bible study. There's lots of great music. It is a very wonderful service to attend. It's three days of work and worship. And I hope that you'll be able to come and be a part of these this year's 2017 annual conference at the TD Center in Greenville, South Carolina, starting June the 4th. Thank you. Thank you, Mike, and thank you for being a representative of the congregation. We believe in extravagant generosity, and I have a feeling this one is going to stick in your head. Normally I worry about something you remembering exactly what we're supposed to do. I think you're going to remember this one. That's a great opening. Thank you. Good morning, y'all. Um, how are you guys today? It's good to see all of you today. Um, so I am Gretchen Hummerkaus, and I am with the um, Sunday School class of Partners in Faith. And we wanted to do a... Um, to have a giving opportunity this spring for our church and give to the community here in Greer. So we chose um, Community Ministries, and their need at this point is, um, <laughs> I know, it's so weird to say it in this, this setting. Um, it's easier in the casual setting in the morning. Um, their need is underwear. So we are going to do an undie Sunday. So basically, um, you'll see more about this in the bulletin and on the emails that come out weekly. But basically, we are going to collect new, not used, please, new underwear for people in our community. Um, if you can imagine being in need of basic needs every day, going, they have a wonderful clothing closet there, but you know, we probably, I know I do take, um, I don't really think about having a need for underwear every day, but if you didn't have it, how um, that could play on your uh, thought for yourself, you know, so we're going to give some dignity back to people in our area. So for that, I would ask, so how we're doing it? How do we do it? So we're going to have bins for britches outside of the, um, outside of the FLC, and it's going to be on May 14th and May 21st. We gave you two Sundays to give, so if you forget one Sunday, you can bring it the next. Um, 
what we're going to ask is a package of brand new underwear. Ladies, I won't say it in here, but we can do tops too for ladies. And um, if you have a family, so I'm going to give you an example. My family of four. Me, Kevin, Evan, and Blake. So I'm going to get a package for my size. I'm going to get a package for Kevin's size, a package for Blake's size, a package for Evan's size. So as you can see, we will have a variety of sizes for people. So if everybody in the church could give a package of their own size of underwear and or two and or tops or whatever you need to do, feel giving, then just think of all of that that we can fill up that closet for them. Just one church. And we have lots of members in this church. So I have faith in you all. We did a great job in the fall, winter giving coats. We did outerwear then. So we're going to do underwear now. So any questions, you all can see me. Look, um, look for all that detail in the bulletin and stuff coming up. Thank you. Thank you, Gretchen. Yep. <laughs> Let's stand as you're able for hymn number 159.
Let us now affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence she shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. Sometimes a bit of scripture jumps out at you for reasons that are strange, and this one jumped out at me this weekend and said Ann Dobson all over it because it talked about uh, being a son of a female servant. So I'm going to read Psalm 116, verses 12 through 19 from the recently approved version, Common English Bible, now in use by the United Methodist Conference. What can I give back to the Lord for all the good things he's done for me? I'll lift the cup of salvation. I'll call on the Lord's name. I'll keep the promises I made to the Lord in the presence of all God's people. The death of the Lord's faithful is a costly loss in his eyes. Oh yes, Lord, I'm definitely your servant. I'm your servant and the son of your female servant. You freed me from my chains. So I'll offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to you and I'll call on the Lord's name. I'll keep the promises I made to the Lord in the presence of all God's people in the courtyards of the Lord's house, which is in the center of Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Let us pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for drawing us to this place for worship. And for the wonderful things that this church is doing for our individuals, for our families, for our community. And as we experience joy and excitement and opportunity, we can recall times in which we did not, both individually and collectively. And as we read this text today of two men that were deeply depressed and confused, yet curious, help us draw on the times in which we felt that there was not hope going forward, and we used past tense words in terms of our joys and expectations. Make this story our story, Lord. And make your message our message. That we can honor and glorify you this day in your space by declaring your word. Inspire us, Lord, with the prayer you taught your disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. It's now time for our offering, and if you would like to text to give or give online or see anything that we are doing in terms of giving, you can see that in our extravagant generosity section of our bulletin.
You may be seated. Don, handbell choir, Christina, thank you. Is it harder to do the roller thing or the last note that you hit? Which one is harder to do? They both seem, my goodness. We are going to read about two people whose very faith was shaken. And that's what I love about not picking the hymns and letting our musicians pick the hymns based on what we're going to do. So to read the church's one foundation right before we sing a song where people are, or read a text where people are concerned about their faith and their future, um, that, that's always fascinating to me to see what we pick. We're looking at page 1642 or within a couple of pages of that in your Bible if you have a slightly different one. And it's Luke chapter 24. There are some stories um, that we read periodically, some stories we read every year around this time. We just about read this story every year. And so the risk of any text like that is that you figure you have it, or it's tough to hang in there in a long story of which you've heard before. I encourage you to hear it today in terms of the foundation uh, that we sang this morning. Verse 13. And when it says that same day, it's the same day as the um, finding the empty tomb. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what were you discussing together as you walked along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open if you'd like to read along. I love that phrase, that question, what are you discussing? Because it's a familiar question. Jesus, through every gospel, through three different times, walking along with the disciples at three different places, told them that they were going to have to go to Jerusalem, that they were going to have to be tried, and that he would be found guilty, and that he ultimately would pay the ultimate price. And for whatever reason, stress, anxiety, pain, attention deficit, those disciples and the people following along struggled to pay attention to Jesus as he said it. In fact, he told the story, and immediately after, the disciples are discussing amongst themselves which one are the greatest, which one of them. And another time, they discuss which one of them gets to sit beside him. And isn't that as human as can be? Give her, uh, and I'll give you the negative end and the positive end. You ever look in church or you look in a department store or you look at a graduation or a concert and you look at one family and you say, why can't I get my family to get it together like that family? They look like they have it totally together. Everyone's paying attention. They have all their stuff. My goodness, mine's insane. You ever come to church and you think, why can't that family get it together like my family gets it together when we're coming together for this important task? You ever compare the way you look or the way you succeed or what you're doing in your work to someone else? Do you ever compare yourselves in your neighborhoods as to what someone has and what someone does not have? I think the answer is probably yes in varying degrees at varying times of your life. 
And so those disciples, rather than acknowledge the fact that Jesus is telling them something that they're going to have to do that they don't necessarily want to do, instead change the subject. Don't we do that all the time? We either literally change the subject with the crowd around us or we change the subject in our own mind and and tune the person out. He says, what were you discussing to the disciples when they were doing that? Now we have these two men walking out of town on a seven-mile journey. And he says, what were you two discussing? Verse 19. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped he, had been, he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So three words there. Was, had, and didn't. The first two being in the past tense. You ever describe your hope in the past tense? You ever describe your success in the past tense? You ever describe your love for another individual, potentially one you're in a relationship with, in the past tense? Then you know what these men are doing. When they say Jesus of Nazareth, they're referring back to his humanity. Though he is part of the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're referring to the man, Jesus of Nazareth. You know, he was the one that came and he was human just like us. And he had such interesting things to say. And he healed so many people. Well, he died. We had hoped he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. Past tense. I guarantee there's been times in your life when you figured some person was going to be the difference in the success of your organization. And while they might have been in the short term, they were not in the long term, and it was deeply disappointing. Or not even in the short term, you put a lot of weight on this individual, you thought they were going to be the difference, and they were not. So when you're talking about the history of the people of Israel, the times in which they've been conquered, the times in which they've been enslaved, the times in which they've been divided, and the handful of times in which they had a dynamic leader who drew them all and won all the time and beat all of their enemies. If you say to those people, a Messiah is coming, they think to themselves, here's a person who's going to draw us together. We're not going to lose to our neighbors. And we're going to pick our heads up again. Think after the life of Jesus. Though he was interesting, though he healed lots of people, they think he couldn't draw us together and here we are still oppressed by the Roman government. Here we are still oppressed by our religious leadership who choose more to exclude people than to include them. 
the authorities have won. And I don't know what we're going to do now. In fact, isn't it interesting that it's a seven mile journey? When you use the numbers of the Bible of 3, 7, 12, 40. If you had to process something that had truly broken you to the other side of Taylor's on Highway 29, I'm guessing by the end of it, you would have processed that event. But here Jesus comes along beside them. Verse 25. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the Scripture concerning himself. Well, what would you say to a person who wasn't part of your conversation who called you a fool in your brokenness, in your pain? Would you listen to that person any further? Maybe. Maybe, but... To hear Jesus himself describe Moses and the prophets. I want you to, if you have your Bible open, you can turn 876, something like that. Jesus is explaining this much to them as they walk. Explained by a human. Speaking to them as a human in a way that the text rarely can exactly the express purpose of God coming to earth in the form of a human. He says how foolish you are and how slow to believe the prophets who have spoken. Why does he need to emphasize that? Because these people love stories. They don't always love prophets but they love stories. And prophets have told them when they were very very low this is not the end of this story. Prophets have told him when they were very, very high, this is not the end of this story. But they struggled to understand him. They struggled to believe in him. And so Jesus said, all that the prophets have spoken. And I think people were willing to listen for two reasons. One, he first listened to them. Are you not more inclined to listen to another individual if they've listened to your entire point? And two, they've missed a dynamic speaker explaining to them exactly what this means and why it matters. Steve Jobs was speaking to the um, commencement class at Stanford some time ago, and he said you can't connect the dots going forward. You can only connect them going backwards. We don't know exactly what's going to happen to us in the future. But if we look through the lens of what God has told us back through this story... We see people who have sacrificed everything along the way so that others could receive the message. And isn't it fascinating that they listened to him? Maybe because he first listened to them. How likely are you? If someone won't listen to a thing you say, how likely are you to listen to that individual? How do those 24-hour news networks that comment on things that are going on in our lives listen to one another? Well, they mock one another. They disrespect one another. They hate one another for the benefit of you paying attention solely to them and their voice. The expert in everything that's ever been 
first listened to their brokenness and then shared back with them. Verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. You know how many stories there are in the gospel of people who go running back into town or running out of town to celebrate something amazing that they've seen. If you have that good news, you cannot help but write someone and tell them. These two experienced Jesus at the table. And the only way they experienced Him was to say, stay with us. If they say, alright, cool, good to see you. And He continues that way and they continue home. This story doesn't exist. It's just an interesting man on the road. But a willingness and a desire to hear more and to engage one another more was the difference in the telling of this story. And for them to say, it is true. What we have to work on is our deep desire for something tangible in order to believe that it's true. Jesus would say to the disciples, to people following Him, when they said, what do we have to do in order to be included? Is there some crazy initiation that we have to go through? Is there some belief that we have to have? Do we have to memorize all the books of the Old Testament? Do we have to have given this much? Jesus says, no, it's simply that you believe. Do you know what their number one response to Him saying? It's just that you believe. Could you show us something? Heal somebody else. Feed us. Do some other sort of miracle so that we'll have something tangible so that we can anchor ourselves to that tangible thing so that then we can have faith in you. That's tough. Because that faith is in that thing that we cannot see. And you know, if we're given something tangible, you know what we want after that? Another thing that's tangible. And then another thing that's tangible. If you could get me this job, then I would believe. If you can heal my friend, then I would believe. If you can have this person love me, then I will believe. If you can give me a break, then I'll believe. So let's see the human struggle here of listening and believing. Let's work throughout this season to try to understand how we can listen to one another, how we can share a table with one another, understand one another, how we can listen to our God. Because then it's in that listening, it's in that processing that we find our belief, our understanding, our hope, 
And it's in that belief, understanding, and hope that we then start using the future tense rather than the past tense in the terms of what God is going to do in our world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, forgive us when we struggle to listen to you or to others. Forgive us when we use the past tense in terms of our abilities or your abilities. Forgive us when we look in terms of our own gain, our own dreams, our own wants. And inspire us when we say it's true. Help us, Lord, in the coming week to listen to others, to listen to you, and to use the future tense. It's in your Son's holy name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand with me as you're able for hymn number 140, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
Tomorrow we will celebrate Miss Ann's life here at 2 o'clock. The visitation will be at 12. Next Sunday, we will be in the Family Life Center. We will have traditional worship at 11 o'clock in the Family Life Center next Sunday and in many Sundays to follow as we repair it. Let's pray together for our space and for the transition. Lord, we thank You for this home. We thank You for all the services in which we have in it. We thank You for its beauty. We thank You for the resources that we have in order to repair it. And we ask that You be with all those who are working on it, that they may be safe, that they may be careful, that they may be proficient. Be with us as we travel from this place. And we know that You go with us wherever we may go. In Your name we pray. Amen. Go forth in peace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit go with you all. Amen. Amen.